I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in T.O., a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. On today's episode, a study from the University of Toronto examined police budgets and crime rates in large municipalities across the country and found that the relationship between them is complicated at best. You'll also get the story behind the Stanley Cup. Not Lord Stanley, though they were both established near the turn of the 20th century. In fact, the Stanley All-Steel Vacuum Flask was invented by William Stanley Jr. in 1913. And more than 100 years later, thanks to social media marketing, scarce supply, and a car catching on fire, it's become a highly coveted product. Do you think the Maple Leafs could hold one for just a minute? Then, producer Glenn Bergonier will take you back, before the days of Stanley Cups, to the early days of the Toronto Police Services, when they had only five full-time constables. Imagine the response times back then. That's all coming up on Today in T.O. Did you hear what went down at Union Station this week? A section of the building's concourse level had to be evacuated Monday night after a man allegedly dispersed bear spray. Police said there were no reported injuries and the suspect fled the scene. They're described as a tall man with blonde hair who was last seen wearing head-to-toe denim. Now, this is a developing story. And of course, I'm thinking about the folks who had to witness this, who may have been traumatized, afraid, and inconvenienced. But I'm sure the new stat you'll be hearing is... Bear spray incidents up 100% in Toronto. I mean, it's technically true. And you've heard me talk about this before. Sometimes I feel like I'm annoying, and other times I feel like I'm not annoying enough. But it perplexes me. Every single year, without fail, the Toronto Police Services will come out with stats and reasons as to why they need more money, even though every single year, without fail, they get more money. And yet it doesn't seem to get any safer. It's almost as though... More policing leads to more crime. And that makes sense. If you have more officers, you have more surveillance. You have more reported crime. Now, the police budget is always the largest piece of the city budget pie, at least in Toronto. And there's not a whole lot of transparency around spending. Here's what we know. This year, the Toronto Police Services are asking for $1.186 billion, which is an increase of 20 million bucks from last year. The city released its proposed $17 billion operating budget, which allotted for a net police budget of $1.174 billion for 2024. This still represents a slight increase over the 2023 budget, but it is $12.6 million short of what was asked for. And Police Chief Myron Demke wants everyone to know just how bad it's going to get. A $12.6 million cut will create unacceptable risk and imperil the service's ability to ensure public safety, to offer community policing, and to proactively patrol the city. In short, to provide adequate and effective policing to the people of Toronto, your constituents. I do ask of this city what options were weighed to determine that a $12.6 million cut to policing was responsible. It would not impact the public safety and adequate and effective policing. 
Every single year, as I said, without fail, we hear how crime is so terrible. It's only getting worse. You should be scared. And the only way to keep the public safe, they say, is to get more money. And I'm not saying police don't need money, but this sounds like kind of a bad business model. It will lead to further degradation of police services, and we will not be able to hire the police officers we require. We can only do that if our proposed budget of 1.7% increase is approved by city council. Since 2011, we have 600 fewer police officers on the road. In fact, today we only have 37 more officers than we did in 1999. Despite what I'm sure we would all agree is a considerably different world in terms of population, crime, and complexity. The Toronto police do say that this money will allow them to hire 300 new uniformed officers by the end of the year, as well as 100 new staff for civilian roles, and will help them improve 911 response times. I've heard a lot of folks say that in Toronto, a lot of this crime is due to issues with homelessness and substance use disorder. And we know what's not going to help people suffering from addiction or experiencing homelessness is 300 more uniformed Police. What will help is access to more robust services, services to help people find and keep housing and shelter, resources for employment, mental health and addiction supports, you know, things that are tragically underfunded most of the time. And my big question is, how does both the money needed to reduce crime and the actual crime only increase year after year after year? There's a new study published in the Canadian Public Policy Journal from a team at the University of Toronto. And this, which is said to be one of the first of its kind in the country, examined a decade of data from Canada's 20 largest municipalities, including Toronto, London, Hamilton, Peel Region, Montreal, Vancouver, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, and found no clear relationship between higher police budgets and crime and no association between increasing spending and reducing crime rates. This even as spending on policing increased steadily over the period of the study. The most expensive police budget per capita in Canada was in Vancouver, where there's a cost of about $500 per person, and that's more than double the amount spent by Quebec City, which paid the least among the 20 cities. In Toronto, the proposed city hall budget for the police would shake out to about $417 per resident. Now, according to the author of the study, who you'll hear from in just a moment, there were many variations when it came to the relationship between crime rates and police funding. So some municipalities did see lower rates with the higher per capita budget and vice versa. But like I mentioned, according to the researchers, this is one of the first studies of its kind in Canada. There really isn't a lot of available information on this. And when it comes to establishing who needs what and what the costs are, it's helpful to have information. But that's where the researchers ran into some issues. Melanie Seabrook is lead author and a researcher at the Upstream Lab at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. There isn't a lot of research on police funding in Canada. So our goal with this study was just to kind of get a lay of the land of how much is being spent on policing over time? How does that vary across Canada? But I think future research should definitely try and dig into uh, that and break down how much is being spent on different police functions. But I will say that uh, the main challenge we had with this study was accessing data on police expenditures. And I know that that's also a challenge in terms of 
um, breakdown of uh, police expenditures by function. It's a challenge, and I'd recommend that municipalities and, and police services try and make their uh, financial data more uh, publicly accessible and accessible to researchers, you know, just for, for transparency with the public on, on, police, on public finances uh, and also to enable this type of research to be done. Why is it so difficult to get this information? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer for you. Um, I think that uh, different municipalities just uh, don't necessarily publish their more historical um, budgets and financial statements uh, publicly. Um, maybe they're archived for whatever reason. Um, but really, it is important to have that historical uh financial statements uh, to be able to do this long-term analysis and, and be able to do that correlation uh, analysis over time, right? Because we need a lot of data to be able to, um, you know, come to the, that type of a conclusion. Look, I feel like I should state that the goal here is not to defund. Unless. No, the goal here at least in my eyes, is to actually create safer communities to prevent crime through access to resources and fund those accordingly. If you were spending all of your money on food, yet you were still hungry, you might look for other ways to approach your budget so that your needs were met. On the way. You know, as a sad and dejected lifelong fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, I got really excited when I heard that this could be the year that the team brings home the Stanley Cup. Only. It's a different Stanley Cup, and I think they'll still have a tough time getting their hands on these ones. The Stanley All-Steel Vacuum Flask was invented by William Stanley Jr. back in 1913, and more than 100 years later, thanks to social media marketing, scarce supply, and a car catching on fire, it's become one very popular product. excited when I heard that this could be the year that the Maple Leafs bring home the Stanley Cup. What do you mean it's a different Stanley Cup? Okay, well, then I've made a huge mistake. And I think they'll have a tough time getting their hands on one of those as well. And you may be wondering what all the fuss is with this glorified water bottle, thermos, tumbler? And who the hell is Stanley? Now, the Stanley brand has actually been around for more than 100 years. The all-steel vacuum flask was invented by William Stanley Jr. in 1913. This guy was an American physicist born in Brooklyn, New York. And over the course of his career, he obtained 129 patents. And one of them was for this fancy cup. He also invented the induction coil. Could you imagine if next year we're all talking about this hot new product? that comes in all these colors, and it's an induction coil? <laughs> anyway, back to Stanley, and we'll fast forward to 2019, when the quencher bottle became popular thanks to a successful influencer marketing campaign. In 2020, the company hired Terrence Riley, formerly of Crocs, as its president, and sales of quenchers rose 275% from 2020 to 2021. The cup took off, becoming Stanley's most popular item in 2020, and revenue jumped from $73 million U.S. in 2019 
to a projected 750 million U.S. in 2023. Now, on their website, the 40-ounce Clean Slate Quencher H2O Flow State Tumbler will run you about $45 U.S. before taxes, shipping, and handling. But if you go to secondary sites uh, like eBay and you've got your eye on the latest release, a collab with Starbucks and Target for Valentine's Day, get this, it's pink, then you could be paying anywhere from 200 to thousands of dollars. And this is an example of scarce supply. The demand exceeds supply, creating this I-gotta-have-it energy. But there was one more thing involving a car catching on fire. Heather Thompson is VP of Strategy, Research, and Engagement for the Edmonton Chamber of Commerce. This past fall, there was a person who was in a car accident, and her car actually exploded. And her Stanley um, was pretty much unaffected. And this was like, of course, Stanley, this is a marketing uh, PR event that they were just so excited to see, obviously, because no one was injured. I think that's the most important thing to say. No one was injured. But the cup really did survive. And so they actually gave this person who lost their car a new car um, for saying thanks for giving us the shout out that this, this product kind of withstood something that was absolutely catastrophic. What is it about these Stanley Cups that have really captured consumer attention? And what could the future hold? Because we know what goes up must come down. When you have quality at its core, and then you add in the aesthetics and the overall versatility, and you have this really functional, beautiful product that is solving a need that people um, want to bring with them in a, in a daily fashion, I would think that this is probably the peak of the Stanley. Like, who knows if they're going to come with, like, even bigger collaborations, and there's going to be even more demand. But um, it'll be interesting to see how they go into new markets and how they're going to become popular there as well, because really here in Canada, they, they are without a doubt the most popular tumbler, um, and, and people just seem to have, everyone seems to have one. Yes, everyone seems to have the viral Stanley Cup tumbler or a knockoff. But what about the other Stanley Cup? Well, that one is getting around too. In fact, it took a ride on the TTC recently with former Maple Leaf defenseman Thomas Caberlet. Now, he won the Stanley Cup with Boston back in 2011, which is why he's allowed to hold it. But they took it from Davisville Station to Union to promote the NHL All-Star Weekend, which kicks off February 2nd in Toronto. It's a three-day event with the game taking place on Sunday, February 4th at Scotiabank Arena. Now, Phil Pritchard, he's known as the keeper of the cup, and he admits that he owns a Yeti and not a Stanley. But he does spend a lot of time with the actual Stanley Cup. And so what was it like bringing the other Stanley, Lord Stanley's Cup, on the TTC? It was pretty amazing to see the people's reaction when they got on the train. They thought, they thought, am I on the right train? What What is going on here? Why is the Stanley Cup here? We had a red carpet for them when they got on the train. And it was, it was so special. And we stopped at Union and stayed there through rush hour in the lunchtime. And it's always amazing with hockey fans, especially Leaf fans. A lot of them won't touch it because they don't think they've earned it as their team hasn't won it in a while. So they they won't touch it. And then there's the diehards that want to hug it and see every name on it and everything. And there was one lady that came through and she was so thrilled because her husband has been a Leaf fan since the late 60s or something. And she's going to get a photo. And we had to convince her to get in the photo as well. I said, I'm sure your husband would love to see the cup. but would probably love to see you in the photo also. 
And she was so excited for her husband. And I think that's so neat to see the reactions like that. I didn't realize this, but the Stanley Cup is also known as the Dominion Hockey Challenge Bowl. And it was first won by the Montreal Hockey Club in 1893. So it only predates the other Stanley Cup by about two decades. Now we can go even further back, before the days of either of the Stanley Cups, to 1834 when the Toronto Police Services was just establishing itself. And at that time, they only had five full-time constables. With more on that, here's producer Glenn Bergonia. Actually, Danny, the precursor to our modern police force was known as the Toronto Police Force. And they not only had five full-time constables, but they also had 14 reserve special constables. So yeah, actually, it was still a very small police force. In fact, when it was first established in 1834, there was an estimated one officer for every 1,850 citizens. Another really interesting tidbit for you, the Toronto Police Force was the first major police service in all of North America. It even predates the New York Police Department, which was created in 1845, and the Boston Police Department, which was birthed in 1837. Actually, The only police force in the entire English-speaking world that predates Toronto is the London Metropolitan Police, which was established in 1829. But let's go back to Toronto. Before the police came into effect, local able-bodied men were actually required to report for night duty as special constables for a fixed number of nights every year. And if they refused or failed to show up, they could either face a fine or potentially even prison time. And although established in 1834, it would actually be another three years until Toronto police uniforms were even introduced. And get this, their annual pay was set at only 75 pounds a year, which might not seem like much to you, but do remember that at this time, the mayor of Toronto only received 250 pounds a year. So the police's salary was actually pretty nice. Now things continued to grow for this fledgling police force until July the 13th in 1855, which was a Friday, ironically when a riot broke out at what is now the southeast corner of Front and Berkeley. It was so bad the military actually had to be called in to intervene because Toronto police failed to control this crowd, which led to massive public backlash and a reform, which saw many of the police force fired. In 1859, after rebuilding and in light of the reform a few years before, Toronto police began to standardize training, hiring practices, and even a professional code of conduct. And now let's jump ahead to the early 1920s a time that Toronto police actually had to rely on the investigative efforts of the famous Pinkerton Detective Agency to help solve major criminal elements. But this then quickly led to the Toronto Police Service forming its own internal intelligence. During the economic unrest of the 1930s, there was a special and infamous group within the Toronto Police known as the, quote, Red Squad, which used brutality to bust unions, and route and remove undesirable elements such as the homeless, the unemployed, and even foreigners. This squad was effectively disbanded shortly after due to an increased scrutiny from the public and scandals. In 1957, the Toronto Police Force had merged with 13 surrounding police services to form the Toronto Metropolitan Police, which was comprised of police departments from Scarborough, East and North York, Etobicoke, Mimico, Weston, Forest Hills, Leaside, New Toronto, Swansea, and Long Branch. And now we jump ahead another 41 years to 1998, 
when the Toronto Metropolitan Police Force was officially rebranded the Toronto Police Service. And since that day, aside from minor tweaks to uniforms and further modernization of policing efforts, this police force still serves and protects all 2.9 million Toronto citizens. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about budgets and police and public safety. If there's ever a topic you'd like us to cover, too bad. I mean, <laughs> let a girl know. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Stover, and I try to respond to all nice DMs, and I'm open to gentle feedback, topic suggestions, and interview ideas. This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Chris Dunner and Andrew Dernford are advisors to the show. Join me again next Wednesday for a brand new episode. And in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.